Welcome back. This is Carl Monger with Gelf. Use the New American Veteran and part two of three interviews with Ranger veteran and author Stephen Trujillo. Again, he is dialing in from Thailand and the audio quality from Thailand on this recording is not very good. So you have to listen close. But again, he's got some great information. Thank you for listening. And here is part two. So let's go on into part two. So we had had a great discussion in part one, talking about the VA, talking about a little politics, talking about uh, your expat status. And, and, you know, after we talk about your books, if we have time, I want to come back to the expat thing, because my wife keeps saying that we're going to we're going to retire somewhere outside the U.S. So I I don't know what exactly what that means, but I want to learn more from your experience. But so I we talked about uh, your first book, which was uh, about the Rangers in Grenada. And yeah, we we did an interview of that uh, here a couple of months ago that a lot of people listened to. So I really appreciate getting the visibility. It was a year ago. God, it was a year ago. You know why it seems like it's recent is because people picked it up after a year. And I think you had said, holy cow, it's been a year. And then I got other people commenting on it. That's exactly right. I mean, I saw it on Facebook. Facebook told me a year ago you did an interview with Carl (laughs) Monk. Wow. I thought it was a couple of months. (laughs) You know, so I mentioned it and you said, yeah, let's do it again. And I'm like, and, and in the meantime, you've written like 85 books. <laughs> Not, I, I've written two books, but what happened was the, book, the second book was so gigantic, I had to split it up into two. So now I've written three books. Well, and, and I am right now, I'm almost 70% of the way through Metamorphosis, Forging an Airborne Ranger, Tales of the Rangers, book two. Just, uh, you're, you're halfway through Ranger School right now. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say it. Your halfway part through Ranger School was my graduation part through Ranger School. <laughs> I was there for 150 days. I mean, and the thing about it that was really funny is when I went to submit the the, the vouchers, you know, for the, for the TDY, I got a lot of money you know, because I'd been TDY for uh, 120 days. And uh, I was actually shy of the limit, where if you're, if you're one day over that, then there's all kinds of dire bureaucratic penalties. You know, so yeah, I, I got a nice big fat cheap white check, and I, it was not my intention. It was not my intent. No, anybody that plans on getting recycled to make a little extra money, (laughs) you would pay that money to not have to go through the recycle. (laughs) Each time I was recycled, I wept. I wept. I wept with tears. I cried. You know, and my Ranger buddies cried with me because they knew that I wouldn't quit. I wouldn't. And I was intent. I knew that if I was. I would rather die. They were going to have to kill me, you know. Either let me graduate or kill me. That's basically the intent I had. And I think, I, I think for anybody that's going through these kinds of pipelines, these these gateways, I think that's the, the, the mentality of the one you've got to have. You have to say, if I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this, I will either succeed or they have to kill me. And guess what? You know, it's, it's technically not legal for the U.S. 
U.S. Army to deliberately kill you in the course of training. Yes, mistakes happen, okay? Accidents happen, people do die, but they cannot deliberately kill you. So as long as you simply persist and endure and don't quit, odds are that you will come back. You will succeed. You will pass. Being un unstoppable, Carl, is really one of the most important things that I think that we can bring to the equation as young soldiers. You just got to be unstoppable. So, so why is it you think that I'm diverting away from the book, and I don't want to spend much time on this because we got to talk about your books. But uh, why is it that when you get out of the military, then all of a sudden it's okay to not be unstoppable? Then, then it's okay to just give up. Well, you know what happens, I think, is that uh, in the military you're dealing with a structure, you're dealing with an organization, and it has rules, 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 and you have mentors in it, or you have guidance, you have uh, regulations. So it's, it's finite and it can't be encompassed, it can't be understood, and as a consequence you can maneuver and manipulate and succeed. When you're on the outside, it's gone, and it's gone, your frame of reference is gone. You are no longer in the green machine. The green machine grinds on without you. They don't need in any individual. It's the machine, they grind on with But you're outside by yourself yourself and you're immediately isolated by yourself. Maybe you have some friends, maybe you have some family, but it's not the same as being It's radically different. And what happened to me was I went I was in therapy for the first time, I want to say it was in nineteen ninety two, city of Philadelphia, city of But anyway, I was, I was with a, a therapist that the DEA was paying at their expense for me to, uh, to see her because they diagnosed me with PTSD in 1991. Hmm. came back from the second tour from uh, uh, FOI Alcatel. And they said, well, you know, you got PTSD, you got to decide you can't stay on the wall. Okay, Because you know, I was in no condition. I was, I was Jamaican at that time. So I, I resigned, and there I was. So it's all of a sudden, there was no longer the Department of Justice employment, no longer the DEA no longer a U.S. military officer, no longer a sergeant of the army. I was just a guy on the street. And what that therapist helped me understand is that I was not those things. Yeah, I was a sergeant. Yeah, I was a lieutenant. Yeah, I was a captain. Yeah, I was. Enforcement specialist. That was not my idea. You distilled down to it. You said, well, what are you? What am I? I was just Steve. That's it. That's it. I was just Steve. Okay? So when you come to that realization, when you, when you filter this out and you, and you focus on yourself, you realize, what am I? And you realize those are just jobs. Those are just things that you do, and we build them up, and we and we embrace them, and we, and we think, well, and, and we think this is my identity. I'm a Green Beret. I'm an Airborne Ranger, right? It's false, Carl. Really, all you are is Those are roles that you're playing at that particular time that's in your it. life. That's mm -hmm. it. That's it. You know, and the thing is, we'll go 
through years, years, masquerade, lie to ourselves, believe it in these dreams of a green beret out there going right? Really, what you are is you're just a guy. Just Carl Marco. You know, I'm Steve. That's it. And when you realize that, then you're like, okay, you gotta, you re, then you're down to bedrock. And then you can rebuild from there. And you can pull yourself up from there in a new, different way, right? Go back to university, go back to school, you can go to trade school, whatever. You can just go be a, a, a waiter. You can be a bartender. You can do whatever you got to do, right, to, to, to pay the bills, right? But none of those things mean, you know, say if you go read a bartender, guess what? You're not Carl the bartender. You're Carl. You're not Carl the bartender. So this is the thing that, that, that veterans got to understand. You got to just distill down and realize you are who you are. You know, you're not an airborne agent. You're not a people. You're not a person special for DEA. You're just who you are. You're just yourself. And when you focus on this, what you're doing basically is you're, you're, look, you're looking at it in a concentric manner. You take care of yourself, number one. First of, first of all, you take care of yourself. After you've taken care of yourself, then you take care of your immediate family, wife, and children, right? And that's where I declare victory, Carl, because you know what? I have limited assets, limited time, limited capabilities. I take care of myself, and I take care of my immediate family, and then I de declare victory. Yeah, because that's all that's important. That's what's important. Well, that's what's why. That's, what, that's yeah. what keeps you alive. Right. And then after that, if I have some left over, well, then guess what? Yeah, I've got a very, very, very few friends. I've met him. Because most people I'll push away. People bring drunk, right? I got no patience for that. <laughs> I have a very finite number of friends. A very finite number. But those friends are the very best of friends. Great friends. And they, they help me, and they pull me up, and they pull me through, and they sustain me. There's a very limited number of them. So for me, and my shrink and I, we, we butt heads on this all the time. I, I amputated, you know, brutally. If somebody was not an asset, if somebody was not a positive influence or a positive factor in my life, I amputated them. I cut them out. You know, it's amazing how, how toxic some people can be. We just had the opportunity this last weekend. We've done it a, a, a number of times with an organization called Game Day Productions. They're based out of the Fort Worth area. And they have an arrangement with the hometown Chevy dealers to give a vehicle to a veteran, right? They, they prefer post 9-11, they prefer Purple Heart uh, wounded or, or injured in a combat zone. And so we're, but, but the stipulations around it are, it has to be a surprise. We don't want this veteran to know they're getting a car. Well, now, now, let me tell you what that that raises. You want to talk about a, a challenging task to find somebody and try to determine whether or not they need it, and and you know they come back and they say, well, it's not totally about need. I mean, ideally, yeah, but it's not totally about need. We just we we want to be able to make an example of the veteran community. We want to raise awareness of veteran issues. So this this last uh, weekend. In Wichita, Kansas, we had an Air Force veteran, former uh, JTAC, that uh, had a couple of combat tours, and he's 100% disabled, actually works for the VA, 
And and through a referral process, we, we found out that there, there are some health issues, cancers uh, it, with a member of his family. And so, you know, they've got a number of things that are going on. And so we're like, okay, this, this, this person is a really good uh, uh, candidate for it. And we trick him and his family because we say, hey, you're going to come out on center court of this basketball, this college basketball game to be recognized as a veteran. He has no idea they're getting a car. And, uh, and, and so... Oh, so so we we do it, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was the the, the surprise on his face. It, it it worked out really well, and I'll tell you about one that went a little differently here in a minute. But but all this worked worked really well, and and he's a very deserving. His family's very deserving of this, you know, just as much really as anybody else. And but so then the news media they they put a little thing on the news and they put it on their Facebook page, and there are comments in there, you know, thank you for your service, all that kind of stuff. And then there's people that are like, well, how did you get picked? My husband has this, you know, that, and our we need a car, and and so he had he went this guy went and he posted on his Facebook page. He, he read this, wrote this big long message about how how thankful he was and how he wasn't deserving and he and you know he 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 was very grateful for it and it was going to help their family especially because of the circumstances that they were in but he said now my ultimate goal is to be able to give it forward and he said man i you know i went and i read some of those comments in the article and it's just like oh that, that and so I, yeah i went in there i said number one rule about social media is if there's an article about you never read the comments because there are people out there that don't know you that all they care about is themselves or how they can upset or hurt somebody else. And it's it's very unfortunate there are people out there that are like that, but they exist. It puts us in a difficult situation because we can't ask. So, but, but we've been, I think we've really done, even in the one where the guy refused the car, it worked out well because the Chevy dealer got two great stories out of it and somebody else, you know, was able to benefit from it, so. You know, and uh, like I said, I'm just brutal. I'm brutal about amputating people who are negative influences. But when you're with your family like that, it's not total isolation, right? It's it's if you're cutting off the, your spouse, and th- then you really, that's the danger zone. That's exactly right. Well, and, and you know what? You're, you nailed it, because that's exactly what happens. Guys lose the ability to interact successfully with their loved ones, right? That's when you know you've got pathology. Super danger. It's happening. Yep. got pathology when, when you can no longer maintain relationship with your significant other, with your wife, your boyfriend, whatever. That's that's the danger zone. And that's when you gotta look at yourself. Okay, so yeah, it can it very well can could can can be. It's very possible that maybe you're married to a toxic person, right? Okay. If that's the case, determine that and cut away. Right? I mean I I had two wives before wife number three. They were both American women, and I thank God that I'm no longer involved with either of them, right? Very negative people, very, very bad for me. You know, and I learned big lessons, big graduate sky type big lessons when I cut away from those relationships. You know, and then when I 
came to Bangkok, I came here on holiday from Baghdad. I was working for uh, uh, DOD as a contractor in San So I came here on holiday and I looked around, I saw the beautiful building in Bangkok and I never left. So that's it, I'm staying here. And, you know, I just lived very quietly. And one day, um, I saw this girl at a, uh, at a steakhouse. She was a waitress at a steakhouse. It was a beautiful thing I saw in my life. And after that, I just, I ate a lot of steak. <laughs> I was there all the time. You know? And it was complicated. But uh, finally, she agreed to go out with me. And then We've been married. Honey, how long have we been married now? 12 years? I think we've been married 12 years. How long have we been married? Awesome. 13 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, we both gave it six months. We laughed about it. We're like, yeah, this ain't going to work. You know? But it did. It does work. You know, and, and through that brutal process of amputation, I just cut away. Focus my energies on being a good husband, right? And that's it, because that's as much as I got. Yeah, you you can only control yourself. You can't control other people. You can't control, you know, whether your your company goes out of business, whether your country goes to war. All you can control is yourself. And we got to stop at that because now we're going to go to part three, where we are going to talk about your book.